given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. The Gospel of the Lord. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal, who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. I hear these passages about sheep and lambs and shepherds differently since moving to Sonoma County, because I see sheep more often. I didn't see sheep too much in Berkeley. As the old radio commercial says, Berkeley does have cows grazing way up in the East Bay Hills, but the only sheep I used to see were petting zoo sheep at the little farm in Tilden Park. But here they're just kind of around more. I was driving down Lakeville Highway on Thursday on the way to a diocesan meeting and saw flock after flock on the hills just around. Last fall, I remember going to a festival and my daughter watching, fascinated, a sheep shearing demonstration. As we started out with a sheep the size of a barrel and ended up with a skinny buzz cut sheep and a thick, luxuriant pile of wool next to it. So this is a place where people really raise sheep. And they do it for a number of reasons. For wool, certainly. Milk, sometimes. Meat, sometimes. Not as much as our friends in Australia or New Zealand, but Americans have a bit of an appetite for lamb. One of the purposes that we don't see a lot of sheep raised for today is sacrifice. And that's a big difference between how we think today and how the people who first heard these Bible passages would have. People in the Greek and Roman world and people in ancient Israel used sheep just like we do for things like wool and milk and meat. But they also used sheep and other animals to worship with. And so to worship you might take your animal to a shrine or temple, and a priest would help you ritually slaughter it and offer up some or all of it on a smoking altar as a gift to the gods, or if you were an Israelite, as a gift to the one God. In the temple in Jerusalem, a lamb was sacrificed every morning and every evening as a continually daily offering. And each year at Passover, each family was to sacrifice its own lamb and eat its portion of the meat as part of the festival dinner. It can be hard for us to imagine just how central sacrifice was to religion in the world in which these Bible passages were written. Because what was such a commonplace of everyday life then is almost totally absent for us today. 
But there are reasons that it's absent for us today. In the year 70, the temple at Jerusalem was destroyed by the occupying Romans. And so Jewish worshipers no longer had a place for sacrifice. And as they increasingly dispersed throughout the empire, they began instead to understand their prayers as a kind of sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice to substitute for the physical sacrifice that no longer took place. And for different reasons, much the same thing happened for early Christians. Because Christians had come to understand the death of Jesus as a kind of sacrifice, the sacrifice that fulfilled all sacrifices, so that other sacrifices of animals and grains were no longer necessary. So Christians also began to speak of their prayers and their good deeds and their whole lives as a kind of sacrifice. We use that language today, each week when we ask God in the Eucharistic prayer to accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, a spiritual sacrifice. But we need to keep those earlier images of sacrifice in our minds as we hear our scripture readings today. This Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Easter season, is often called Good Shepherd Sunday because our prayers and our readings for today always feature passages about sheep and shepherds. And so today we sang everyone's best-known psalm, Psalm 23, which so prominently talks about God as a shepherd. And in John's Gospel, Jesus speaks of himself as a shepherd. And we have the basis for our central stained-glass window over the altar. And this image of God as a shepherd and Jesus as a shepherd is not unusual. All through the Old Testament, not only God, but also kings and religious leaders are described as shepherds because their job is to care for and nurture the people. But where we get a twist this week is in our second reading, the one from Revelation. Because as John has this vision of heaven, he gives us a shepherd who is also a lamb. It says the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And then the passage goes on to quote Psalm 23. It says the lamb will lead them by springs of the waters of life. So this lamb is none other than Jesus, of course. And he's the good shepherd who was not content just to take care of the sheep and nurture them. This is a shepherd who loves the sheep so much that he becomes one of them. If we go back a chapter or two in Revelation, John, the seer, is having his heavenly vision and an elder offers to show him a conquering king who he calls the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so John looks at the heavenly throne expecting to see a lion, but what he sees instead is a lamb. And it says, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Now pause for a moment and appreciate the paradox of that line. A lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. Because slaughtered lambs of all kinds of lambs are certainly not the kind of lambs that stand. Not unless after being dead, they've been raised up again. 
Now everyone knows that lions kill and lambs are killed. Lions are powerful, lambs are gentle. So there's something strange and something new when God, who of course is the lion, who of course is the powerful one, appears instead in the form of the lamb. Because our ordinary conceptions of power are different. The world assumes that power comes from the blade of a sword or the barrel of a gun. The world says that in a contest between a lion and a lamb, you'd better put your money on the lion. But God says different. The lamb that was slain stands again. God says there is a deeper power in lamb power. Now our world today, our society today, may not practice ritual animal sacrifice. But that hasn't made us nonviolent. And in perhaps deeper ways, perhaps more cloaked ways, we continue to sacrifice. We sacrifice not animals, but one another, day after day. Not in temples, but on streets, or in synagogues, or in schools. Not to gods like Zeus or Apollo, but to gods like racial ideology, or frustrated, isolated male rage or simple economic profit. We are still in many ways a people of blood. Just two weeks ago was the shooting at Chabad of Pauai Synagogue. And in the time since then, not one but two more school shootings have made their way through our headlines. One in North Carolina, one in Colorado. And each time we hear the story again and it's almost numbingly familiar at this point. A person full of hate or alienation or both enters, bent on destruction. A predator, a roaring lion, bent on killing the sheep. At Poway, Lori Gilbert Kay was trying to shield her rabbi from gunfire when she herself was killed. In North Carolina, a student named Riley Howell died after charging towards the gunman in his classroom, saving the lives of other students. And in Colorado, a student named Kendrick Castillo did the same thing. Three brave people who died seeking the power of the lamb, seeking the power of the one who lays down their life for others. Today, as we honor and mourn these brave people, we may well imagine them standing among that great multitude, the martyrs robed in white, carrying palms of victory in their hands. And we can say with certainty that God does not want bloodshed, not ours, not our friends, not our enemies. God stands on the side of the victim. God stands on the side of the innocent because the Lord who is our shepherd, is also the lamb who himself has been slain. It is Easter time. And we are still rejoicing in the risen Christ. 
But we rejoice not in a naive way that says everything is happy and easy now that Christ has risen. In one sense, the suffering of Jesus took place on Good Friday once for all and ended. But in another sense, the suffering of Jesus continues in the suffering of the world today. The resurrection of Jesus took place on that first Easter 2,000 years ago. And what we have seen in that resurrection is a first installment, a down payment on God's victory. It's the victory of the Lamb. But the fullness of that victory is still to come. There are tears still being cried today. And there are tears left to cry. But at the last day, God will wipe them away from every eye. May the good shepherd guide and nurture us today and lead us to the waters of life and make us bold to live in the way of the lamb who was slain and also who now lives and reigns forever and ever.